0: It's John and Casey here from Are You Real, and we've been sleeping on my pillow now for over a month. And I'm telling you, our sleep has improved drastically. So, what are you waiting for? When are you going to jump on board and start experiencing the kind of restorative sleep you need in your life? Are you waiting for a better offer? Well, your wait is over, because if you go to MyPillow.com right now, you can take advantage of the MyPillow four-pack offer, right, John?
1: That's right. You get two premium MyPillows and two to-go-anywhere pillows at half off. Just go to MyPillow.com, use my code REAL, and get 50% off. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the four-pack special, and enter promo code REAL, or call 1-800-943-4615. But don't forget, you got to use promo code REAL.
2: Welcome to Are You Real? Finding the Authentic You, the podcast that focuses on Christians that are active in everyday life. Join in as we speak to everyone from successful business owners to educators to athletes about their faith and how it helps them reach out and revolutionize those around them to do the same. And now, get ready to roar with your host, the voice of manifestation, John
1: Fuller. Hey, Roar Nation, John B. Fuller here, and I am excited and fired up. So, for those of you who have been following the last uh, couple weeks, eight weeks ago, we started a beta class uh, to find your purpose. And during that beta class, we used Breyer's Mi- uh, Breyer Mix, I can't even talk. We used Breyer's and. Uh, Megs, or Riggs, I'm jacking it up. Uh, Enneagram, and uh, we also use the disc test. And that being said, we used a culmination of all those and a lot of other exercises to help people find purpose. And this was a pretty crazy situation. So I walk into my house, and a publishing company uh, sent us some books, and I look down, and Rusty, who I've partnered with doing Finding Purpose, takes a picture of a book, and Sends it to me and says hey, we need to use this and it's called the sacred enneagram Well, the funny thing was is the book was already sitting in my house because uh, The publishing company sent it to me. So of course we had to reach out to the author and that being said Chris You ready to do this my friend
3: Man, super glad to be here. Thanks for including me. Let's uh, let's get at it
1: All right, let's do it So. Chris was first introduced to the Enneagram while working for a humanitarian organization fighting human trafficking in the slums of Cambodia. Since then, he has trained under some of the great living Enneagram masters, including Father Richard Rohr, Russ Hudson, Marion Gilbert, and Helen Palmer, and now teaches the Enneagram in workshops and retreats around the world. Okay, Chris, let's dive into a little bit about you, who you are, and man, what you do, my friend.
3: Sure. Well, I, uh, I live in Omaha, Nebraska, and uh, it's been um, actually 25 years that I've been um, in the nonprofit sector. Uh, right out of college, I uh, moved to India, um, where I, I met Mother Teresa, um, did some vol- volunteer work in her house for the dying, and, and after two months, I had a- attended to, to 50, 50 folks who didn't live to see the end of that summer, and it wrecked me. And So, um, moved to the south in the country and uh, helped start the first pediatric AIDS care home in, in those eight countries there in South Asia. The first home for kids who are born HIV positive or, or kids who are orphaned because their parents had died from AIDS uh, was was part of this great little group, and and uh, we we grew this group out to at its at its peak about 350 uh, board members, volunteers, staff, and interns spread out in in, in 15 countries around the world. Like you said, it was uh, primarily focusing on on anti-human trafficking work, and uh, it was it was an incredible run. It was an incredible group. I, 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 I gave almost twenty years of my life to this to this um, collective of incredibly dynamic young people who said yes, and and the yes was this: we were were aiming and attempting to bearing witness to hope in a world that had legitimate reasons to question the possibility of a good God. Yeah. Well, at the, the 20th anniversary of that organization, um, we had buried over 700 women and kids that we had worked with around the world, and it had caught up to a lot of us, and it, and it had caught up to me really hard. I, I was hurting myself. I was hurting my wife, um, hurting hurting my, my, my teammates and, and, and friends. And so um, a little over six years ago, needed needed a break, needed a reset, and uh, we, we took my wife and I took about a year to sort of... Um, hit the pause button, and, and then we launched um, a new little nonprofit called Gravity, which is a center for contemplative activism. And what we're doing now is we're, we're introducing mindfulness meditation and contemplative practices to, to folks with active and demanding lives so that they also don't have to burn out, so that they don't do good at their own expense, and so that they uh, can, can really avoid this, I think, real um, common human tendency to take better care of someone else than, than we do ourselves and And try to think that that's actually being loving, and so it's uh it's not as dramatic as what we were doing before, but man we have never had more work, and we've never been busier in our lives
1: man that's really interesting you talk about that i I can't think of more pastors um just I've been in the you know the church world for twenty years now, and just seeing how many people they start off strong loving um like, kind of like you talk about, you just want to save the world and help everyone around you. And then all of a sudden, one day you find yourself completely burnt out, miserable, and uh, just want to give up completely. Mm-hmm. So, I man, I totally admire what you're doing. I want to jump back um, just kind of earlier years. Just curious, what got you into the nonprofit world to start with?
3: Yeah, so I had... um had gone to this little Christian liberal arts school in Kentucky and uh, graduated with a, a theology, well, a, a double minor, theology, missiology, and then an ancient biblical languages minor. Sorry, double major in ancient ancient languages minor. Um, I thought I was going to go to divinity school or seminary. I thought I was going to end up sort of in, 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 in the church world. But while I was doing my undergrad, I spent a, a summer term and a fall semester in Jerusalem and ended up meeting all these Palestinian kids um, in the Old City, in the Hinnom Valley, kicking a soccer ball around, and and how they were suffering, how they were suppressed, repressed, exploited, really was, was pretty jarring for me. I had not seen anything like that. And uh, and so what I did it, Going is- Go into
1: detail, I'm sorry, but go into detail a little bit, because I'm like, you're kind of blowing my mind there. I didn't know th- that existed or, or why, for especially for my listeners.
3: Sure. So, so in, in, in Israel today, of course, there's, um, you know, it's two, it's two countries within its borders. It's, it's Israel, the modern state, the Jewish state and it's Palestine. And, uh, man, if, if you've not been there, if you, if you don't have friends who are Palestinian, you, you can't imagine the, the suffering, the, uh, the disparity, right? It's it's, it was South Africa during apartheid. It was the rich and the poor in Brazil and it was the, the Israelis and Palestinians that I, I think over the past 20 years have, have shown us the greatest disparity of, of any two groups of people living within the borders of the same country. And, uh, and so, man, these kids, these Palestinian kids that were my age, we'd be walking through the old city and the Israeli Defense Force, right, the, the Israeli military, would just grab these, these young people, these students, throw them against the wall, frisk, and begin interrogating them simply because of, of, of their ethnicity, their religion, their, their, their race. And it was, it was terrible, I mean, really terrible. Uh, and you see it now. I mean you what 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 what's happened in, in the Gaza Strip um is is really sort of a a form of a, a detention and a deportation and a and a and an internal marginalization of, of a people that are, are just are, are suffering in ways that we can't imagine. And, and so seeing that as a young person, right, it, it it was jarring for me too. It it was really hard for me to understand and, and I and I wanted to make sense of it, so I went back to, to the scriptures to to try to sort of make sense of, of what did the, the, the Bible have to say about those who were, who were hungry, who were, who were exploited, who are who made orphans or, or made widows. And, and of course you know that there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of passages there throughout the, the, the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament that speak directly about this. But man, in my context growing up in my religious formation, much of that about poverty was spiritualized, so it sort of fit us here in the, the States. Well, I was, I was wrecked. And so the, the summer between my, my junior and senior year of college, I, I jumped on a plane. I went to, was in Korea, Thailand. I was in uh, Malaysia, Singapore, um, Bangladesh, Nepal, and like I said, ended up in India looking for signs of hope, looking for, for people In communities that were actually um, really embodying love in in places of deep, deep pain and and deep, deep suffering. And uh, and it changed my life. It it really did.
1: Man, I I love that. Okay, so I got to ask you this, though. Just curious because if I was listening to this podcast, I want to know what was it like working with mother Teresa and what did you learn from that because I've personally everybody in the world's basically heard of her never met or talked to anybody who got to work with her so what was that experience mm-hmm. like
3: man she was incredible uh, honestly I mean just just this 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 centered rooted person with with an intense gaze but I mean really the gaze was 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 pure love and it was almost like, maybe you've been around those people where it's like, man, you feel like they're not looking at you, they're looking inside and, and through you. Uh, you know, the first time I met her, and I, and I probably only sat with her or, 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 or met with her a dozen or 15 times, but you know, the first time I met her, she, I mean, immediately just took my hands, sat down right beside me, held my hands in her lap, and, and for 20 minutes, just pelted me with questions about where I was from, why I was there. I mean, it was incredibly disarming, and and uh, and really, I, w- I would say I, I don't know that I've ever been in the presence of someone before like that, or since then, that I would say was 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 marked by a, 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 a the the depth and the capacity to 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 transmit, I think, the essence of love. And so, uh, you know, I was a I was a I was a kid. I was in my early twenties. I, I, I I'm I'm sad to say that I'm I imagine some of those interactions and conversations were, were probably wasted on me. Uh, you know, over the years she gave me all these beautiful little notes and prayer cards and crucifixes and, 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 and medals of, of, of the Virgin Mary. And uh, you know, I, I was like, man, my mom likes that old nun. So I used to give that stuff to my mom. <laughs> and now when I go to my mom and dad's place and I see this little note that she had signed for me on, on their wall, I'm like, oh, I want that back. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, yeah.
1: Why do you think she was what 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 was different? Knowing what you know now and looking back, what made her so different? Like, why do you think she was just so in touch and in tune to who she was and and what she was able to give out?
3: Yeah. Um. So so my wife and I were on on sabbatical at the Center for Reconciliation at Duke uh, Divinity School several years ago, and this is when the the come, be my light booked drop, right? This was her her journals, this 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 decades long dark night of the soul where, where she really doubted, where she went to her spiritual directors, her her priests and, and just lamented, like I, I, I don't feel like God hears my prayers. I, I don't feel like I'm I'm connecting with the divine. And and people because I would spent so much time with her, people were calling me and writing me and were like, Hey, what's up? What's what's the deal? Was this lady legit or not? And and, and I said that Frequently then, and I'll say it now, that I, I think what made Mother Teresa who she was was the, the, the suffering that she ex- that she, she, she witnessed, that she internalized, that she gave her life to. But it was also that, that honesty of, of, of having to wonder where is God when the prayers of her friends seem to perpetually go unanswered. Where was God in the face of, of the graph, some of the most graphic and intense human suffering anywhere in the world? And though that caused her as an honest person to, to, to doubt, what was remarkable about her was that she stayed committed to her community and to her faith. And, and I think that's really a lesson for a lot of us that, you know, many of us need to make this, this, this really painful transition from belief to faith. And, and we want our beliefs, they hold us, they they, 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 they form us, and, and they're important. But at a certain point, we realize that the beliefs don't hold up, that most of these beliefs don't have good answers for some of the, the, the world's hardest, toughest questions. And and so we appeal to faith, and faith is, is really making an option for the absurd. It's putting our hope in something that's unbelievable, and then it's letting go and, and, and trusting. And, and I think that's really why she was as remarkable as she was was that she threw herself into the to the mystery of divine love and 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 realized it was beyond her but something so beautiful so irresistible that 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 she she continued to say yes even when everything in her wanted to say no
1: i love that um man, just everything you said it was so powerful chris i thank you for sharing that i, I remember being uh, one of my mentors at like a young age um, I remember specifically telling me, they said, you just need to quit asking why. Cause for me, it was always like, why, why this or why that, or why did God do this and or whatever it was. And I remember her saying specifically, she said, you just need to quit asking why and just have faith. Mm. And it really pissed me off at the time, actually, because I was like, I want answers. Like I really, and they were genuine, sincere answers. But she didn't have answers, and I had to just have faith. And, and that was like kind of a, a stepping stone for me in my life to be like, okay, maybe I do just need to step into whatever God has. So mm. I, I love that you shared that because I think so many people need to hear that. There truly is times we do just need to say, okay, God, whatever it is that you have for me, I'm totally game, and I'm just going to step into it and let you do your thing.
3: Mm. So, and and it's a gift when you can, when you can get there, but I'll I'll say this for a lot of people, it's, it's, um, it will require a a painful deconstruction and and a grieving of what you thought you knew. And, 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 when you deconstruct, when you, when you lament, when you, when you suffer through the grieving of setting it down, what you're allowing for is the capacity to pick something up that's more beautiful than you ever could have imagined. And, and I think, you know, I, I, I used to say this a lot. I, I think that's what the invitation to divine love really does in terms of reorienting our, our sense of self. Because if, if there were no threat of hell and no promise of heaven, would you still say yes? And, and we have to find what is so beautiful about the nature of, of God that we can't help but say yes. Uh, that we can't help but feel compelled to, to, to like mother... Throw our, our lives into this and uh, and really let it be a, a complete abandonment, a, a complete surrender, right? So it's, it's not easy.
1: No, it's not. And it, I, I'm glad you said painful because it really is a painful process. And I think anybody who's gone through it or understood it, um, it's painful. But it, it's like uh, the only thing I compare it to would be like training for a marathon or a 5K or something like it. It just really sucks. But when you're done you're so thankful you did it hmm so um, Chris along your journey over the years um, has there been maybe a like a scripture or a success quote or something that's just kind of
3: directed or led your path um, over the years hmm um, you, you know it's so funny I mean I, I would say it's it's been more friends and mentors who who've led and guided me and you know if I were to, to sort of try to wrap Scripture around their commitments or, or the, the the success quotes of what their lives look like. I, again, it's like look what I just said about mother. It's like it's the embodiment and the fleshing out of what that is more than sort of the letters and the words on the page or the screen. Um, yeah, I mean, I love to read. I I, I have a, a gorgeous little library in my townhouse, and and and, and uh, you know, I've written it's it's four books now, but. You know, it's it's the embodying it, it's the living it, it's it's the it's the taking those, it's the taking of the sacred text, it's the taking of these sort of curious, accidental sort of framings of inspiration, and, and it's and it's ingesting it, it's metabolizing it, and then it's sort of seeing the the fruit of it in in our lives. I think has has really been what's com- compelled me, and like I said, it's been seeing that in and mentors and, and friends and, and, and community. So, Okay.
1: I'm going to jump off my notes for a minute, and I want to dive into some of the stuff of your book. And, um, and I'm going to be transparently honest here uh, on stuff. Um, had I gone back maybe 10 years, maybe 15, like if I would have got into Enneagram stuff or any of that, I, I probably because of being in a Pentecostal church and some of the stuff uh, that I was – and at the time I probably would have been like, man, that's just demonic or, uh, and I, and I want to be honest with you about that because I think when you get into stuff like personality types and different things, sometimes I think because it's maybe not in the Bible or people don't understand it, it automatically has a bad spiritual content to it. Sure. Yeah. And, and, and that couldn't be further from the truth now, uh, knowing what I know, um, is there anything that you could kind of disarm that a little bit for some people not for myself, but maybe for sure. some people that would think maybe the way I would have thought a while back?
3: Yeah. Well when i when I first came across the Enneagram, um I mean, I, I I think I had a very similar experience. I mean, first of all, you look at this this diagram, and it looks super evil, like two pentagrams having sex. <laughs> yeah, okay. Like, I'm glad you said that. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, whoa! I don't think I'm allowed to learn this. Um, and then, of course, there's at least 20 years ago when I came across this. Um, you know, Christianity had a really conflicted relationship with it, um, and, and and Father Richard Rohr this this um, this this friar that I had mentioned was really, maybe I would say, the, 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 the most prominent author out of a historic Christian faith tradition that was writing about this. But, you know, I was, you know, how I was religiously socialized going to an Assemblies of God high school myself and Evangelical University, you know, back then, even though I, I adored Mother, you know, I, I was a little suspicious of, of, of Catholicism and, 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 and what the accent of that was. I'll say this, though, and I'll say this 20 years later, having worked with the teaching and the tool, um, it's, it's a universal, it's full of what I think we could, could simply agree on as the sort of universal truths that show up in, in, in all histories, in, in all religious traditions or communities, in, in all great myths and in all great literature. It's like Joseph Campbell's Hero with a Thousand Faces. It's like, I, I don't think the Enneagram sort of started anywhere, per se. But has always been finding its way out through humanity's expression, and so if you you need to sort of rub some Bible on it to make it straight legal, um, then, <laughs> you, know, you can look at the nine fruits of the spirit. You can look at the nine Beatitudes. attitudes. You can sort of see it even showing up in Scripture as a, a way of offering pastoral instruction or, 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 or spiritual formation. Uh, you know, earlier this year I, I did a training with Michael Goldberg. Who 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 um, sort of suggests that the enneagram shows up in Homer's book, The Odyssey, that Odysseus's right journey home after the Trojan Wars actually takes you through the nine enneagram types in order, and and I just got back this week from Florence, where I was with Beatrice Chestnut, who's a, another great author on the enneagram, and, and she basically says in Dante's Divine Comedy, right, these these nine circles of hell, these nine terraces of purgatory, these nine spheres of heaven. It's it's the Enneagram passions and virtues. And and so clearly Homer and Dante probably weren't using the Enneagram as we're using it today, but it's like it's 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 there and it's clear and when you see it you can't unsee it. It's it's just it just sneaks up on us. So, you know, if you're your 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 faith tradition requires that you locate truth in your sacred text, then we're gonna be we're gonna be in trouble because math isn't in the Bible, but I think a lot of us think math is true. And it's like, I don't think it's, uh, and uh, going against your faith to study calculus. Like you, you might actually be a better Christian if you sort of see, um, sort of the, the structure of, of, of created order and, and how these things just continue to point to something beyond. Right.
1: Yeah. I love that. Uh, I like your math analogy. That's pretty funny. So, I'm just curious, what have you seen like life transforming in people's lives, especially in in Christianity and faith? Being able to stumble upon the Enneagram and being able to hear your teachings, read your book, and mm. how that is propelled people in their faith.
3: Right. So I um when I when I set out to work on this book, the Sacred Enneagram, what I I didn't want to do was to sort of regurgitate and rehash. Um, what has already been said a hundred different times, and and truthfully, there there were really just three or four folks at, at the sort of beginning of the modern sort of rediscovery, let's say, of the enneagram of personality, that everybody has essentially riffed off of since. And and so I'm like, hey, there's there's great source material out there. A lot of people have worked with the source material and, and reframed it, restated it, like repackaged it. Um what I wanted to do was was to really sort of take these teachings around the Enneagram of personality, right? This 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 teaching, this framework that exposes nine human uh let's say human character archetypes or human personality structure archetypes and say when you can figure out what your type is, then what do you do with it? And actually, how do you look at the Enneagram as a teaching that sort of shows us less about sort of nine types of people more about nine paths to god how do you align your enneagram type with with a very specific sort of overlay for spiritual formation and so that was the punchline of the book i ended up coming with um this notion that you could take your enneagram types intelligence center which is your your instincts your feelings or your thoughts and and align those with the contemplative prayer posture either solitude silence or stillness, and then you could take your, your Enneagram's harmony triad, which is, is really your your style of relating to the world, and, and, and align that with a mindfulness intention, right? Either consent, saying yes, engaging or embracing this contemplative prayer posture, or resting in it. And when I did that, what I found was you could wrap those three contemplative prayer postures, those three mindfulness intentions in a combination that doesn't repeat itself nine different ways around that circle and and i think what people found is it's really been helpful it's really been a a sort of support and a guide to how they nurture their their inner life their and, and and support their inner work
1: so for those listening who are not familiar with it how do you find your type or how do you get how do you figure that out
3: sure so okay so if the Enneagram is new to you, um, like I said, there's 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 a, an overlay or, or a version of understanding it as a, a, a typology or a personality or a human character structure tool. And I would say this. I, I, I fundamentally think that the Enneagram of personality shows us our ego set of coping addictions that we've wrapped up around our childhood wounds so that we don't have to tell ourselves the truth about who we really are. What we want to do is we want to wear the masks that have been put on us, that we've picked up and, and fashioned to our sense of self. And, and, and in doing that, we're projecting the mythology of our own sort of sense of self, or our own ego mythology. But I think what the Enneagram personality shows us is, is that we are not our personalities. There's, there's an essence. There's a purpose for being. There's a reason that we were born. There was a, a you know, in the Enneagram language, it was a holy idea and a virtue that were gifted to us and this is when we can align with it what we're supposed to offer the world and that's really our gift of love well to find your type then one of the nine types around this circle most people appeal to a test and there's plenty of really good online tests out there but uh you know just like like any test they they all have with them their inherent cultural racial racial um and even type biases so um you know, even, even though you may take a test, you, you may be testing the test or sort of seeing behind the test. Uh, another way of finding this is, is getting online, finding a trusted teacher, or author, picking up a book, and, and reading the thick destir- descriptions of these nine types. And, and, and usually what we say is, is the one that feels like the stress fracture in your soul is getting pressed on, the one that feels maybe the most humiliating or, or, or exposing of, of what you've been trying to hide is probably you. Um, or a third way to do this is just sit down with somebody who's been working on themselves with this tool for, for, for a few years and, and see if they can guide you through sort of a typing interview. Um, there's a lot of ways to come to this and, and I'll say this, it, it finds you right on time. I'm not sort of a, an, any evangelist that, any <laughs>
1: evangelist
3: sort of know their type. It's just like, look, right. just, when you're ready for it, it's a great, it's a great companion to, to your own spiritual, your own spiritual journey.
1: I like it. So I want to have fun with you for a minute and, uh-huh. and figure this out. So I, I don't know if I agree with mine. I didn't have a whole lot of time. I took it because we were doing our course. Um, I, I think maybe my my results came up as a four. Um, hmm. I, I don't know if that's true or not, um, but I'm just curious if if I am a four, uh, whatever that means. What? How does that align with... Maybe going back to earlier conversation, aligning ourselves with how we relate or interact with God.
3: Sure. So, all right. So, so first of all, um, just to, to sort of help you confirm this for yourself, folks who are dominant in Type Four are really at the bottom of the Enneagram. If you can remember the drawing, there's this actual sort of opening there between Type Four and Type Five, and that's called the existential hole. So there's a lot of angst, there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of isolation and sadness down there. Fours are um, in the heart center. And and so they're incredibly in tuned with, with their own feelings. And, and and I sort of joke around sometimes that the fours probably came up with all the feeling words because they're so enmeshed in their emotions. And, 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 and their emotions to them tell them the truth about who they are and they tell them the truth about the world that they live in. Fours ache. And they ache to sort of reconnect with their, their own sense of origin. So a lot of folks who are fours probably wonder if they were adopted. They, they, they feel like they don't fit in, even in their own families. They, they, they feel like they're constantly misunderstood or underappreciated or not seen for for the the, the beautiful and significant people that they, they truly are. And, and so they, they live with a lot of melancholy. And um, this this pain can become addictive for them. This pain can be the, 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 the source of where they feel the, the most alive. And, and from this pain, force can really produce beautiful words or, 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 or create incredible experiences or aesthetics. Like they, they just sort of see beauty everywhere but in themselves, right? So they're, they're, they're idealists and they idealize beauty. They're frustrated because they're, they, they don't feel like they've ever been loved enough or the right way or they don't feel like they've, they, they can be understood. And so that frustrated idealism also becomes a source of, of ache and angst for the four. So my book, the, the, sort, of, the sort of spiritual path I, I suggest for the fours is, is, is specifically this, that, that you simply need to rest in solitude that the, the frustration of your idealism is, is created enough pain for you and so you deserve to rest. And, and in solitude what, what the four I, I think experiences is 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 no longer this reaching out to be seen, but a reaching inward to see who they've always been, but maybe have never known. And so that resting in solitude I think not only is healing for the four, but I think it, it really connects them to, to to their source of love and, and really their, their own own sense of self
1: so that's really interesting so when you say all that like I feel like that was me at a young age Mm. before I got really the understanding of who Christ was in my life and that I was like deeply loved by the father so but once I understood that I was loved and who Christ was in my life like now I feel whole but I struggled with all that at a young age
3: Mm -hmm. and that's so I'll, I'll say this: I'm 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 sort of part of like the the, the school of thought that believes you're born with your type, and, and that your your type is is nature, not nurture. That your type doesn't change. Now, a lot of people say when you take these tests, try to think of yourself when you're in your 20s, because that might have been your your purest snapshot of your essence, and and uh, and so people will sometimes test in terms of who they thought they were or experience themselves as. But look, uh, if you remember high school, <laughs> everybody sort of went through their angry phase. A lot of people went through their artistic phase. A lot of people went through their athletic phase. Um, a lot of us went through this nerdy, uh, self-isolating phase. And, and we had to process through all of that. We had to sort of run to, let's say, the borderlines and the boundaries of our, our, our charisma, our gifts, our psyche. Um, So I do think this, and and when I learned this tool 20 years ago, back then everybody was saying, wait till you're in your 30s to take it because until you've bumped around the bottom of life, until you've sort of made some painful mistakes where you've had to pay and suffer the consequences, you may not really be honest, you may not know your type. um, You know, I'd say this, like if if the four energy, if the four feel, if the four description doesn't fit you, like find another test or, or find another way of taking it. And if it does... And if you do feel like you've done your work with this, if, you've, if you have a spiritual director, if you have a therapist or psychotherapist or counselor, if you, you have a conversation partner who has really helped you loosen the grasps of your own sort of inner critic, your own sort of maladaptive coping techniques, your, your defense schemes, fabulous. Like what happens is as we grow, as we begin to be more truth with our sense of self, let's say our Enneagram type becomes less of a prison, let's say the type becomes less the sort of thickness of the walls that we've sort of wrapped up around our, 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 our notion of self, and, and they almost become translucent. It, it, it becomes less like prison walls and more like a veil that we see through, and, and, and it has less power and it holds less of a grasp over us. And, and look, the point isn't to not have personality, we, we have to have a sense of personality. The personality will always be a container for our ego. It will always be a way of relating to the world, but it doesn't have to control us. It doesn't have to have the sort of final word and the, and the final say over who we think we are, right? Because you know this. The, the truth is is we are not the fragments that we allow to lay claim to the sense of who we think we are, right? Absolutely. All these fragments are just bits and bits of, of the whole
0: Are you a responsible person who finds yourself growing deeper and deeper in credit card debt and you're not sure how to fix the problem? Then get ready for a toll-free number that will put you on a path to financial recovery. Trinity Debt Management is a nonprofit organization that will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment. Put a stop to late fees and over-limit charges, reduce your interest rates by as much as 60%, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands and become debt-free for keeps. It's not a loan. It's a smart way to relieve your stress, meet your obligations, and preserve your self-respect. If your debt has you down, we should talk. Gather up your bills and call this toll free number for a free, no obligation debt analysis, 1 800 741 8205. Again, that number, 1 800 741 8205. You don't want to miss this opportunity. Give us a call today.
1: I want to ask you during your journey, like, I'm just curious, how did you get into the Enneagram as finding? Kind of your purpose and how you felt like what you were created for, and then how did the enneagram overlap on your journey?
3: Yeah. Well, so so like I said, I I I learned it um, while visiting a friend in Cambodia, um, and you know it it bit my brain, man. Like he he totally sort of knew. My, he was like reading my news, and and I, and I was I'd taken a bunch of tests. I'd, I'd tried to figure out what my type was. I, I, I sort of I identified myself between one or two of these types and I was just like, all right, which one of these might I be? I, um, I sent this guy, I'd come back to the States. Um, I'd sent this guy in Cambodia uh, an Excel spreadsheet of the results of all the tests that I had taken with averages, with you know, trying to say, what do you think? Which one of these which one of these, were, which one of these is, is, is more me? And he sort of, he was from New Zealand. He's like, mate you're, you're doing this wrong. And, and, and he said, let me ask you a question. And he really simply asked the question that was specifically related to my type's childhood wound, and even more specifically in relationship to my mother. And man, it wrecked me. I was just like, am I this obvious? Well, you know, we, we brought the teaching into our community, that, that international humanitarian community. Um, we, we, we We kicked it around a little bit. There was a girl in our office who had done some training. She... She feels facilitated a self retreat for us. And, and it was sort of a parlor trick. And this is really, I think, one of the dangers of the Enneagram is once you learn these nine types, once you sort of get a handle of this, you can become really dangerous at a dinner party. It's like you can sit at a circle of friends and just size them up and break them down and, 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 and really sort of out what you think their type is. And, and that's actually violence to, I think, the beauty of people. And that's not what this tool is about. And I started to see that, and I started to realize that, and I started to to realize that, you know, you're really you're really poking around in in, in some pretty sacred places in people's lives. And when you really dig into the childhood wounds, you're really needing to to, to use some discernment and, and and some delicate sensitivity here with this. Yeah. And and look, it's look sometimes pastoral counseling is fine, but man, sometimes you need a psychotherapist. And so. uh the deeper, I got into this the more. I realized I, I need to be responsible of this, and that's when I started to, to take some pretty advanced professional trainings, like from from some of the the the, the world's great living teachers on this. And uh, and as I got deeper and deeper into that, and as I started to see how this has overlays in into spiritual formation, um, like I said, I couldn't help but see how this was. Um, this was really a, an, a tremendous support to nurturing, nurturing and nourishing your your, contempla- your contemplative practice, your contemplative spirituality. And I'll say that, man. It's been the greatest support in, in my own faith journey over, over the last several years, seven, seven or eight years.
1: So I'm really curious. I just want to ask you, like, what are you, what is your passion? Because I'm hearing like you're doing nonprofit. It sounds like you have a huge heart for the hurting, for the lost, you're helping people. And then there's this other side of you that has spent 20 plus years going after the Enneagram, understanding people. And I mean, did you, and I'm just shooting out in the dark right now, but did you take, you saw this as a tool to help the hurting maybe in, in what you were doing and, and saw this as a way to better people on their journey and what they were are going through. I'm just curious because somewhere these two uh, overlap.
3: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So f- for 20 years um, it was, it was all about fighting for me. It was all about fighting for justice in the world. For me, it was all about building community to, to, um, Sort of create spaces, like I said, where we could we could bear witness to hope, and um, you know I I, I think um, this is the sort of um, how do I say this? I, I think we all have to go through these sort of stages of development, this this sort of evolution of human consciousness consciousness, and, and I think on one hand, look, I'll, I'll be honest, like. I I really threw myself and my heart and my love into those 20 years of humanitarian work. And and it really was an act of devotion and worship to God. But if I'm honest now and looking back on it, it was a lot of projection. It was a lot of putting out into the world what I was not dealing with in myself. And, And I think we know that. I think if we're honest, the, the people that frustrate us the most, the annoy us the most, they're, they're, they're simply mirrors showing us the parts of ourselves that are unintegrated, disintegrated, that, that we're not dealing with, that we've parked or hidden from our own selves and our shadow. And so after 20 years of humanitarian work and hitting some pretty hard walls and, 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 and really sort of breaking down and, and teetering on the edge of burnout, burning out, um, disappointing myself and, and those I loved. I think the Enneagram was there waiting for me, and it was a compassionate sketch of possibilities. It was the sort of, here's what's next. So you've, you've done your best, and your best wasn't good enough. Here's what's next. You've, you've thrown yourself into a cause. You've thrown yourself into to this attempt to build a better world, but you've not built the best of yourself yet. And, and really, right? the scriptures tell us to love our neighbor as ourselves, but most of us don't love ourselves yes, or love good. ourselves well. And so I think that's what the Enneagram began to show me was a sense of compassion, a sense of here's how I can learn to love myself and make peace, even with my shadow. And and as I began to sort of sludge through that, let's say wade through the murky waters of my own sense of self, um, it was a different kind of liberation. And it wasn't the liberation that I was fighting for in, in, in the slums um, of Lima, Peru or the red light districts in calcutta india or or in the sewers of of galats romania it was there are red light areas there are slums there are sewers in my own soul that i've neglected that i've ignored that I've, i've 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 not looked at consciously or unconsciously that contain within them the the sort of unexpected gifts of of my own redemption my own inner transformation and my wife says this that to the extent we are transformed the world will be, will be transformed. And I think that's really the the, the the key here is the Enneagram offers a, a, a path for for transformation, um, or it offers the support to inner transformation, unlike any other tool I've I've worked with. Right?
1: You know what I love about that is is you're able. You talk about shadows and things, and it is we're able to see those things. You know through our faith. In Christ it allows us to step back and ask God you know how do I deal with these things how do I deal with these issues or or maybe for some of us maybe we can't hear God's voice but we have scripture so whatever those shadows are we're able to take them to the word and say okay how do I work on this or how do I change this because these are my tendencies or my habits and 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 what does scripture say about that to, to really get serious change in our lives
3: right and and my wife my wife is incredible like I I, I, I mean she's just this this rooted transformed person who uh, will spend two or three hours a day in contemplative prayer. I mean it just honestly, like one of the great luminaries I, I think of our time. but she'll also say this that through activism we confront toxicity in our world and that's what I did for twenty years. but she goes on to say that through contemplation, we confront the toxicity in ourselves and look here's the problem it is the toxicity in ourselves that creates the poverty in the world that sort of fuels our our activism and and so when the enneagram can sort of help you be gentle and honest with that as you look inward as you are healed man you're healing the world it's that simple i i mean it's it it it, it makes it's it makes sense even to a child to say it that way right
1: so yeah that's good stuff okay chris during your path like what do you feel right now the, the your biggest strength is or you're like your god given gift uh, in what you do or just you as a whole
3: huh well i you know i um i, I think over the years my, my the commitment to my own vocational fidelity has been like I've I've said a few different ways, bearing witness to hope. I, I think the commitment to my own sort of vocational fidelity has has been curating, let's say, um, unlikely conversation partners and and sort of nurturing friendships at at the so-called margins. And, and then I feel like I I've I've really tried to sort of be a, a guide for 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 contemplatives who who need to sort of align the fruit of that with activism, or activists who need to ground their activism in a, in a deep contemplative spirituality. And I think that that sort of notion of, of contemplative activism, that notion of friendship at the margins, and that notion of bearing witness to hope are, are sort of the three legs of of what support everything I do. And so even in the Enneagram work that I'm doing, it's, like I said, it's not simply for, for self-gazing, for, for, for just fueling our own narcissism but it's really for the inner transformation that will lead to a transformed world and uh and so that that continues to propel me that continues to guide me i mean look i'm I'm dominant in type eight on the enneagram and the a is the challenger the a is the need to be against the a is the um the, the the one who always sides with those who've been victimized, the so-called underdogs, right? They, 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 I almost can't help but fight for justice. It's, it's as if it's hardwired into, into my DNA in essence. And, and so I'll do that and I'll continue to do that. And, and the work that we do today um, includes a lot of direct support and assistance for, for folks who've been trafficked to the states for, for labor prostitution. The work that I continue to do today continues to support a lot of folks who are, are displaced, refugees here in the states, um but really it's 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 it comes from that well of spirituality and, and like I said I, I'll keep circling back to this, that the Enneagram is a great support to nurturing our spirituality. Um it's it, it shows us rails from getting from where we feel stuck to, to finding the places where, where we will truly be free. And uh and it's like it's aligning our freedom with the freedom of the world. It's realizing that that, that we aren't Disconnected, that we aren't separated, and uh, and that there really is an invitation to wholeness in it all.
1: Absolutely, w- knowing what you know about yourself, what do you feel like your biggest weakness is? Whether it's an overextension of a strength or just something entirely different.
3: Well, I you know I, I think all of our our, our, our greatest weaknesses um, are are the, the the things that have the most power over all of our lives, and and so. I think what we find is it's the stuff that's in our blind spots right it's the ways that we we don't care for ourselves love for ourselves it's the ways that we don't listen to that inner voice of love it's the ways that that we continue to neglect making and saying the yeses to the things that 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 will ultimately sort of support and, and, and nurture our own human flourishing and so you know for me it's um as somebody who's dominant in type A it, it's really the, um, the repressed intelligence center of my type, which is my heart. And, and so I really need to continue to get in touch with my, my needs, my, 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 my feelings. I need to continue to learn to ask for what I truly want and, and not have this this feeling of, of guilt or shame in asking or needing. And then as somebody who's dominant in type A, I, I would say really my, my growth curve here is moving from transparency to vulnerability. Because AIDS will show you the worst of themselves. Like, if, if you want to know the greatest failures of my life, it's like, I don't want to tell you, but I would if I thought there was a way of controlling you through confession. And <laughs> That's is, good. This is the side hustle. This is the dirty trick. It's like the, the, the matador's cape. We, we sort of show the cape to the bull saying, all right, come and get this, come and get me, here I am. And, and what we're doing by being transparent is sort of making the person that we share a so-called secret with feel like we're more connected than we really are. But this move for me, and it's and it's been a, a lifelong move, and I and imagine it will continue to be, is from pr- transparency to vulnerability. And you know this that the English word for vulner vulnerable comes from the Latin word for woundable. And so to be vulnerable means to be woundable, and it means. Opening myself up in my heart and showing you really my tender spots and letting you in and giving you the power to, to really sort of To really be able to hurt me with the truth of my vulnerability And so when I can move from transparency to vulnerability, that's that's when I, I really see some of my greatest transformation take place but you know That's that's where I get stuck. That's where as an eight who has this fundamental and basic sort of need to be in control, I, I continue to exert it. And, uh, and it continues to be the source and the cause of, of most of my suffering.
1: Yeah, man, I love your transparency on that. Thank you. Um, I want to ask you this, if you and I asked this question, um, I asked lots of questions, but I, there's one that I never skip. And if you could go back, Chris, to a younger you, what age would you go back to and what advice would you give yourself knowing what you're going to go through, but nothing can change?
3: Man, it's like, I, I mean, if could I go back to myself yesterday, last week, uh, last month? Uh, you know, if I if I could go back to, to the version of myself where I, I, I maybe was most enamored with my gifts and over-identified with them, um, which, you know, for all of us, that's also an important part of our own sort of development and 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 sort of inner rooting and grounding i, I think i would um try to remind myself that it, it really is in my weakness that the greatest potential for conversion that the greatest opportunities for growth and and, and that the the, the 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 sort of most fertile sort of space is to be midwifed into into freedom could happen and and rather than resist weakness um, fall into it, rather than sort of fight against it, consent to it, and uh, consent to it by, by just stopping the frenetic activity of my, my early life, by, by being still and, and letting God be God and, and not having to, to, to play that in the lives of people that I loved, in the lives of people who I thought were hurting, um, in, in spaces where I thought um, maybe God hadn't shown up for, for quite some time.
1: That's good. Okay, Chris, as we wrap up the show, um, what bit of parting advice, you just gave yourself advice to a younger you, what advice would you give my audience?
3: Man, you know, in 2018, I I, I think um, things have gotten pretty toxic out there. We've gotten pretty polarized out there. And, um, you know, I think Christianity in 2018 is, is really teetering um, between these extremes of sort of moralism and 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 duty and 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 sort of behavior codified, sort of legitimizing of one's spirituality, which if you look at the scriptures, none of these folks were really all that good. Secondly, we teeter on the other extreme of of sort of this image conscious package branded sort of a sort of um. Thin substance, but 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 beautifully presented veneer, and and I think between moralism and image, we, we have to, to to return to our heart, which is love, and we have to remember that love um, makes room for even the worst parts of ourself, and that's what having compassion means. And so, if, if folks out there are listening, and it's like, hey, what's the takeaway? It's it's be good to yourself, be 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 kind and gentle with yourself. Be compassionate with yourself. Um, look at the best in you and, and let that be the spark for your own transformation. Most of us are pretty good at, at highlighting the bad. Most of us have sort of mistaken these voices rolling around like marbles in the back of our skull, these voices that sound like regret, disappointment, shame, guilt, fear. We, we, we think that's the voice of God, but but that's never what God sounds like. Um God is love and and that's true in in all the great religious traditions of the world um that comes from our our sacred text um let that love be what what leads to to our own and continued um transformation right these small deaths that that sort of add up to sort of what we I think mean by conversion.
1: come on, man. that's good stuff, dude, uh, really good, okay, so. Chris, if uh somebody wants to contact you or website, um get a hold of you, have you come speak or do one of your conferences on Enneagram, how do we find you?
3: Sure. So you can go to what, what, dot gravitycenter dot com and uh we have a schedule at gravitycenter dot com of, of all the places throughout North America and around the world where we're doing retreats, workshops, um and I on the website we actually try to resource folks and, and make it really simple and really easy to sort of access sort of baby steps to um, nurturing your own contemplative journey. Um, I, I do a lot of Enneagram one on one work as well and, and the website sort of gives a little bit of information on, on how to how to align that if that's helpful or interesting. Um, but yeah, we're we're out there. I'm 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 routinely on on, on over a hundred flights a year. Um all over, like I said, all over the states, but really all over the world, and and, and so it's likely that that folks who are listening um, will be in or near somewhere that will be doing a retreat or workshop soon.
1: Awesome, can't wait! All right, Chris, hold on just a second. Just want to tell you, man, just thank you so much for your heart. Thank you for being vulnerable and just speaking to my audience. And uh, man, I love what you're doing. And uh, any way we can support you, just want to tell you, thank you.
3: Yeah, thanks a ton. Really, really grateful to be included. Thanks, yeah.
1: Rob. Roar Nation, I hope you guys got a lot out of this. I can't tell you enough. Um, just in my journey the last couple of years doing different tests, uh, I'm just starting to dive into the Enneagram, as you heard, and uh, really enjoying it. So I do highly recommend going out and buying Chris's book. We'll have that on the website. And uh, I hope this is just a starting point for you to discover you and your purpose. And uh, as Chris said, to be kind to yourself as well. So, Roar Nation, we love you. Remember, be real, be authentic, and be you. God bless. That's all for this episode of Are You Real? Finding
2: the Authentic You. Be sure to go to areyoureal.org for your free questionnaire to identify your gifts and talents and how you can use them to help people become leaders and catapult them into their destiny to help others become the leaders of tomorrow. We appreciate you spending your time with us and look forward to helping you reach out and revolutionize next time on Are You Real? Finding the Authentic You.